Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and I am, as always, looking for my buddy Seth Robinson. Seth, you're out there, yes? Here I am. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. How's how's the mood in New England? Little little down after last night? I was hoping you could just avoid that topic altogether. No. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that uh, the mood in New England isn't too bad. I think it's game one. We normally respond really well to an embarrassment like that, the few and far between that they are. So um, nobody's panicking. And I'm sure the rest of the non-New England fandom out there is having their, you know, ecstasy today and, and, and happy about the downfall of the Patriots. But we'll see how it plays out. We really only worry about getting into the playoffs. It certainly Ready. takes the pressure off of the undefeated season. That's true. That's true. <laughs> won't, we won't be talking about that through uh, no. the entire fall. Yeah. And, you know, we do have the worst record in the league now for the That's next true. few weeks. That's true. That's <laughs> true, yeah. You guys are going to be right on the bottom there. So, But, yeah. no, it's early. Um, it's, it's definitely good to have football back. Oh, yeah. You know, last weekend, I, I like uh, college football a little bit more than you do. Um, and the first weekend of college football is always a little weird for me because you've got all the football on Saturday, and it's great. And then on Sunday, I'm kind of expecting there to be more football, but it's not there yet. You have to wait a week until you get Sunday football. Well, now you get Sunday football. Now we get it. Yeah, we have to. Have, I, I don't like the Thursday night football. I told you that earlier, but um, uh, I it's too late. <laughs> you have to get up for work the next day. But yeah. Um, but yeah, this Sunday we'll have plenty of football to watch. Yeah, we're watching that, and I'm watching hurricanes down down south. That's the other mm. thing that got to keep my eye on for Sunday because that's when it's supposed to hit down there. So, hopefully, it's not going to be too disastrous. No, hopefully not. Um, we've got enough disaster already. True, true. Earthquakes today in Mexico. No. I know. Up to that, I'm like, oh my god, the end of the world is happening here. <laughs> <laughs> the Patriots <laughs> lost, and all this bad yes, stuff is yes, happening. We led by that. That's like the, the biggest problem. And then you get all those natural disasters that are going on, and you've got it's crazy. Not good. So, what are we talking about today? So, last time we talked about a new report that I had, and this week I thought we could talk about a new report that you are going to have. I don't. It's not published yet, right? It is um, not, but it should be by next week. It's soon. finished. It's so just it's... in that. Um, it's just in the uh, the process of moving from my desk to the people who will get it published for good, me. Good, good. So yeah, this is uh, more of a preview type of thing, but uh, definitely want everyone to check out the new study that you have that looks at software as a service. And I know that you look in the report kind of specifically at what we have called traditionally the channel, the IT right. channel that has existed for a while and that has really been in, in flux over the past few years as we have new models and people are trying to figure out exactly what the channel will be doing. And before we talk specifically about the report, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on where the, the channel is going and not just the channel, but the entire environment and ecosystem of companies that are going to be providing technology assistance to end users because I think that ecosystem is growing, and we've mentioned that before, um, but I think this is something that we have to even wrestle with inside of CompTIA is what language are we using? Are we, are we not going to be limiting if we you know, say the channel or if we try to say that the channel is expanding? How exactly do we describe this larger group, especially as distribution costs have gone to zero, and so that takes away one place that the traditional channel would have found value? And there's also a shift 
more towards software and away from from hardware being the key ingredient of that IT architecture. Um, so before we jump into the report, uh, what are what are your thoughts on how that ecosystem is growing and, and ways that we might describe it? Yeah, no, you raise a really good point, and it's something that we wrestle with and have here at Contia, and I think industry-wide right now are wrestling with. But, you know, on a very simplistic level, it comes down a bit to nomenclature. You know, what are we calling this indirect channel of companies and entities that are um, helping customers with uh, their technology and business decisions. And traditionally, we've, of course, and I've been around the block here for quite a few years, you know, you call it the channel. And when you think about the channel, you would think about value-added resellers, solution providers, system integrators, and now, to a large degree, managed services providers are those sort of the next evolution of the traditional channel, uh, less involved with uh, straight hardware sales and more about um, managing um, technology services uh, remotely. But as we have seen over the last couple of years, uh, there are many other types of organizations out there that do or per that perform similar activities in, in helping customers with technology. Uh, but they would not identify themselves necessarily as belonging to the channel, and I've got air quotes going around that right now. Um, these are companies like uh, digital marketing agencies that are helping businesses you know, get their websites up to speed, do all of their electronic marketing, do business development for them, all kinds of activities. And they would probably call themselves, if not strictly a digital marketing agency, you know, a business consultant that leverages technology um, as, their, as their tool for helping the customer. And then you've got you've got a whole bunch of um, kind of born in the cloud ISVs out there that are working to sell, as we're going to talk about in more detail, software as a service solutions. And they don't necessarily call themselves a participant in the IT channel as we traditionally know it. And then even as we've discussed previously, you've got professional services firms, so companies that aren't even technology companies, like an accountant, an accounting firm, legal legal uh, firms. Uh, other types of professional services firms that have worked with certain types of technology for so many years that they are de facto experts on that technology and as such they've aligned themselves pretty cl uh, closely with uh, the particular vendors of those technologies and they make recommendations and they assist their own end customers who, may, who are coming to them for you know accounting services but are then actually working with those customers on, the, on that particular technology and getting it implemented and installed and consulting with them in their organizations. And those that group would certainly not say, oh, yes, I'm a member of the IT channel. So I do think going forward, we have to think about how we collectively uh, name this broader universe and decide whether, you know, who, who's a competitor, who, who do we consider, you know, a, a partner. Uh, I think all of these are, are, are are questions that are you know really unanswered at the moment. But I, I see it as a kind of a, a positive development that we're no longer just having like one kind of ghetto of of a certain certain type of of company that we decide is a channel company, and it's broadened out so that there's a much more involvement from all different types of organizations in the world of technology and helping customers with business outcomes. And I think that's what it comes down to. I think what we're going to see is more, rather than calling yourself a channel company or a reseller or a solution provider, we're going to get into calling um, ourselves in this business, business consultants. And your business consultants, with the caveat being you're really, a you know, you're, you're leveraging technology as your main tool to help, con uh, to help your customers. 
I also think that there's a lot of positive times ahead as as this becomes uh, much more diverse and much more complex and there are different uh, niches and specializations that that firms are going to hit and there, there's just a lot of places that we can we can explore and I think that software as a service kind of highlights uh, this this challenge very specifically because if if we were to grab a cross-section of the industry or even businesses all businesses and we said we're going to talk about software as a service i think there are a lot of activities and implications uh, and repercussions that aren't captured if you're looking at the activity that's happening within a, a traditional channel now there's a lot of activity that's happening within that channel uh, which is which is what you look at here, but I, I, I like that we started out with this discussion to kind of highlight that the world is changing, and mm-hmm. when it comes to software as a service, there's probably a lot of different things going on, but this report specifically looks at the channel and the way that it's trying to respond to SaaS, uh, and, and that's really what, what you dug into here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this, this study does take a look, uh, you know, there are um, respondents in this study that you would put into the other category that we just discussed, um, but the majority of the respondents to this particular study are doing software as a service, but they are members of the quote-unquote traditional channel. So they're solution providers, managed services providers. Many of them are consultants, traditional IT consultants. The good news is uh, what we found in this study is um, there, you know, of all the cloud disciplines out there, um, software as a service is definitely one that is popular. And is, and is growing and poised for growth among um, channel companies. And I say that's positive for you know, one, one big reason um, being that software as a service is very accessible to customers um, on a self-provisioning basis. So there was some apprehension about SaaS, as we'll call it in short, limiting or you know, limiting the ability of the channel to really play a role. So if you're you know, a marketing department head and you can just kind of get your credit card out and click to provision something, uh, an application online, and all of a sudden your department has it, well, well, where does that leave the solution provider who normally would have sold you that, um, that uh, particular solution? Um, but what we're finding out is there's all kinds of places to plug and play when it comes to SaaS, and it's not just about reselling the applications themselves. Uh, there's so much work that can be done around, um, around post-sale opportunities with software as a service. But just to give you like a couple of, of numbers, I mean, people are really digging into SaaS right now. Of you know, we asked you know of all of the respondents who are have cloud as part of their portfolio, whether that's um, infrastructure as a service, software as a service, platform as a service, or something else related to cloud. Three quarters of those folks said SaaS is definitely in the mix for them. And of that three quarters, um, another quarter of that group uh, were born in the cloud companies. So um, as I said at the outset, we this is not just 100% traditional channel companies, but some of these players who are doing SaaS uh, started out that way. And they may fall and they may have some different considerations in terms of how they run their businesses. Um, so SaaS is, is definitely a thing. It's a real thing among the traditional channel. Uh, and, and, you know, I'd say the, the main reasons why when we looked at that were Customers are demanding it, and I see plenty of reason for that. It's accessible to customers. Uh, I think the perception is that you know a cloud solution such as SaaS is going to be easier to manage. It's going to be less expensive. It's going to be um, faster to deploy than an on-premise packaged software solution. I think it remains to be seen 
over time what total cost of ownership is for many of these customers. But I think the initial perception, and it makes sense to me, is that a quick and easy cloud solution is going to be um, a better fit, especially for some of the smaller customers out there. So, you know, the channel respondents in this study are telling us customers are demanding a SaaS option versus an on-premise option. You know, another reason that the channel companies are getting into this is just to continue to go toward what I like to call the holy grail for them, which is a business model that is about recurring revenue and not about product transactional type sales. And we've been trying to move toward that for um, any number of years now as people are adopting managed services. And I think SaaS just becomes more and more piece of that and helps kind of move the goalposts a little bit closer. And again, the one of the, the other top three reasons um, to get into this game is that it is faster to deploy. And so you can make a, you know, you can go in and talk to a customer and say, hey, I can have you up and running today, as opposed to, okay, let's buy, how many seats do you need when it comes to this package software, and then I'm going to come in and I'm going to have to implement it, and then I'm going to integrate it. Um, there's still a lot of integration work that takes place with the SaaS solution, but the initial gets you up and onboarded is really quick. So there's definitely some upside, and I can see why traditional channel companies are, are pursuing this. And if your customers are the ones demanding it, that's going to drive you fast into this marketplace. We definitely see the customer demand uh, in a study like the one that we talked about last time, the IT architecture or digital organizations or any of the cloud studies from the past. We've seen companies looking at their applications and trying to get them more cloud-based. And mm -hmm. I think that does a couple things. For one, it changes the licensing structure and agreements. It gives them a little bit more flexibility. It gives them more up-to-date software uh, as the, the SaaS provider is constantly feeding features in and, and you don't have to wait for a major release. Uh, but I, I think the interesting thing, especially now that we're starting to see um, as companies get into middle stages of adoption, is they're finding that they can explore software applications for functions that maybe have been paper-based before or maybe haven't existed. Um, and so that they are looking not just at email and business productivity, but they're beginning to look at financial software, expense reporting, uh, HR, in some cases maybe ERP, where that's only been a very large enterprise type thing before. Uh, and, and so all of a sudden, the way that they are digitizing their business is, is changing. And, and that is a much different thing than just plugging in a piece of software and supporting it and having it run. Uh, and I know that you've looked at line of business buying before, and some of this uh, SaaS activity, I think, is being driven from other consultants that might uh, be working with a line of business. And so if you're a small business and you've got an accounting firm and they say, you know, hey, we, we want to change the way that we're doing our accounting, and so can you get this SaaS uh, application that would tie into our stuff better? And now all of a sudden that leads into customer demand. And so the customer is going to their IT provider and saying, I need this new piece of software. Uh, and that's probably stretching channel firms in, in new directions that they really haven't explored very much before, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think um, what you hit a good point in that the sort of the fluidity and scalability of SaaS and cloud in general allows um, customers to experiment now, like you said, with the types of solutions that they may not even considered in the past, like an ERP solution if you're an SMB company, because you're able to turn SaaS on and off. If you want, you can scale back, you can you can scale up, uh, you can you know cancel a contract, you know if you no longer want to be on subscription because it's not working out. So the flexibility it is allowing more companies to take chances 
with types of technology solutions that they ordinarily would not want to make a big capital investment in and then have find out after the fact that it's not a fit for their company and they're stuck with all of this software. Um, but as for uh, the channel, as for the demands on the channel, in terms of having to look at the way they run their business differently and the way they handle customers differently, uh, that's absolutely true. I think we really become, uh, and what we found in the study is, this is a much more consultative type of relationship that the channel is going to have going forward with customers. Customers are getting savvy about what they want, so they have ideas going in. So they're not just looking to the channel to be the quote unquote person, trusted advisor that tells them exactly what they need. But customers don't know everything, and so they do need they do need that assistance. And so the channel, I think, is going to have to morph from being, like I said, that you know the reseller of technology to being uh, the business consultant, goes in, is talking to line of business in many instances now, so they certainly need to be having that language be what's coming out of their mouths and not... Um, not a speeds and feeds conversation, or even getting wonky about you know the, the cloud itself and, and how that how that works, but being able to have a business conversation with these line of business folks, and then whether or not that customer then self provisions these applications that get recommended or you're settled on, um, the that doesn't really matter. What we found is the majority of these channel companies today how they're making money off SaaS has nothing to do with reselling. Of course they are making money reselling subscriptions. And you've got this huge universe of Office 365 resellers out there who are making money off of those subscriptions that they sell and manage over time. And, and that, that is a big piece of the picture. However, it isn't the biggest piece of the picture. And what we found is where most of companies who have SaaS in their portfolio today are making money is off post-sales work. And then we're talking about some traditional sounding stuff, customization, so understanding that many of these SaaS solutions are very vanilla coming out, you know, coming to the end customer, and they're very basic. And if you are a vertically um, vertical company, in which most companies are, uh, you're going to need some sort of customization to tailor that solution, uh, that SaaS solution to the idiosyncrasies of your particular business, whether that's manufacturing or healthcare or retail or whatever it is. And the channel is at least savvy channel companies that really begin to specialize in verticals are um, are very well suited for this type of work to doing customization. Um, the other big area where they're making money off SaaS is integration. So uh, if you have, I, I'm trying to think of, I read this article and I can't remember the company, but one company was saying that literally it was an enterprise company. They had hundreds of different cloud-based SaaS applications running all over their environment. And none of them came from the same ISV. They were all over the map, and they were in different departments. And you know that is can be a mess, I'd imagine, because nothing's talking to one another. And so integration work was one of the other big areas where the channel was making money off SaaS right now. So we're talking about integrating all of these various SaaS applications that you get from different sources to one another. Um, obviously, integrating to whatever's on-premise still, because we're not going to see, for most customers, a completely cloud-based world, at least for the foreseeable future. And then also integrating some of these SaaS applications back to the different cloud providers that where they're housed, the public clouds where they're running. So great opportunity there. And that was, you know, so those were the two things that really struck me as, you know what, as much as we talk about the world changing, some of the work, you know, the, the important work that the channel does today with package software, um, they're going to still be doing with SaaS solutions, and that's where they're making the bulk of their money. And a lot of that work is consulting-oriented and not resale-oriented. That's definitely true. You know, we hear it so many times that 
you know, as much as we're describing the new world order and all the new things that have to happen and new business models that exist, we hear from companies that say, I'm doing the same thing that I've done for a long time and I'm busier than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, you know, the, the movement into newer models still kind of generates work for the older models as well. Um, what do you think the, the split would be if we, if we were to gather up the, you know, all the companies that we would have called the channel 10 years ago, how many of them are kind of evolving their business, uh, and, and adding on some pieces that help them still do some traditional activities, but do them around SaaS products and how many companies are understanding this is a brave new world and and we've got to do things differently or we have an opportunity to do things differently, not necessarily that we have to, but uh, we've got some of the right resources and we can move into the right spaces. Where exactly do you think that mix is? And this kind of gets to our earlier discussion that that the whole environment is expanding. um, And so obviously we're going to find some some brand new companies that have never been a part of this, but just thinking about the the mix that we would have always considered, what, what do you think the split is there? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is purely unscientific um, opinion of mine. Um, I think if you talk to the average channel company, they're all going to tell you that they understand the brave new world and they are moving in that direction and they are applying some of the things that they've done in the past to these new models and to you know the cloud-based world most people are fairly optimistic when you talk to them about that now in reality who's actually you know what's the split of those who are actually doing this um seemingly successfully uh you know right now you know my best guess is cutting edge maybe 20 25 percent of the channel Mm -hmm. um and then somewhere in the middle there like um I'd say 20, 25% are, I would call cutting edge or really trying, are getting it. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got 50% in the middle that might talk a good game but still have a long ways to go. And then you've got 25% on the bottom that don't necessarily want to change at all, like you mentioned. They're, they're doing fine. They've got more business than ever. They're getting ready to retire. Whatever the particular reason is, they're content. They don't need to grow hand over fist year over year because they're going to be getting out in a few years and selling. Um, or for some reason, you know, they, they are in a niche where they're doing well and they've got, um, they've got a loyal customer base that continues to go back to them. And, and uh, customers don't always want to change either. That's something we should note. Not every customer is clamoring to move to the, the brave new world. Um, some small customers are perfectly content operating their environments exactly as they have for the last 10, 15 years. Um, and so, so that would be the way I would break it up. Again, unscientific. You can quote me, but don't say it's attributed to any hard data, obviously. But that's what I see. Yeah, it, it may be unscientific, but your your opinion is so well informed, and so <laughs> I I have all, little little choice but to trust you on this. And but I think it's a good point that you've got these different segments of of the community that we've been dealing with for a long time. And like I mentioned before, our big challenge here is having a discussion that kind of includes all of them. Um, and if, if we have a discussion that leans too much towards the cutting edge, then I think some people feel left out. If we have a discussion that is very relevant, but is, is more towards just the slight changes that are happening in reselling or, or support, then there are people that are trying to move beyond that. But all of it works together and it will continue to for, for a while. And so I think that um, through the research and through the education that we do and through the communities that we have, our goal is to build those discussions that are kind of including everybody and describing how the entire solution comes together. 
Yeah, I think it's important for us to include uh, those those three groups right there. You know, you can't ignore the cutting edge folks, and then we want to try to move as much of that fifty percent middle into the cutting edge if that's the direction that they're trying to get to, um, and then not forgetting. Um, you know, some of the more traditional channel firms that are getting older and are content where they are, um, they serve a purpose as well. And, and you know, that's sort of the, the delicate dance that we've, we we uh, do here at CompTIA. Um, but I think it needs to come out in our research. It needs to come out in our education and training and our events and just how we interact with this um, this particular world. Last thing I wanted to ask you about real quick, and then if there's anything else that I sure. completely glossed over, you can mention. But on the vendor side, to me, the, the vendors that are emerging here and some of the vendors that are evolving, they, they kind of highlight that this is a different activity. And, and I think that a vendor, especially a born-in-the-cloud vendor, is probably looking for something different out of their partner community and their partner network than uh, a vendor that might have started in package software and is now moving forward and, and they're beginning to want new things but they're kind of rooted in that mm -hmm. uh, old mentality. So I know you looked at vendors a little bit. Uh, do you see any changes in the way that they're wanting their partners to operate? Yeah, I think this is one of the probably the biggest challenge area right now for both the channel getting into SaaS and for vendors, both the more traditional vendors, like you said, who are living in the package software world and are um, moving to the cloud with their solutions. Um, those are those vendors, you know, you could put Microsoft in that bucket and some of the others, but you know, they have established relationships with the indirect channel for decades. They know how to work with an indirect channel and they have partner programs in place. Now they need to make tweaks to them because the way that you compensate for a, you know, a software as a service engagement with your partner is different than you would if they're selling products of yours, hard, you know, tangible products of yours. Um, so I think that some of the more traditional vendors, um, their partner organizations are struggling to kind of figure out how to tweak an existing partner program. Now, on the flip side, these newer entrants to the SaaS space, so some of these, all of these ISVs that are creating um, SaaS, SaaS solutions and want to, are realizing that selling direct only is only going to, they, they can't grow um, beyond a certain point. Um, I read somewhere that you can get to a million seats in SaaS, I think it was, pretty easily as a direct sales organization. But to move beyond that, and when I when I say seats, I mean individual users. So individual user seats, you can get to a million and manage that fairly quickly and successfully uh, with a direct sales organization. But then to, to move beyond that, it's almost impossible to do so without having some sort of an indirect channel working on your behalf. Um, but most of these ISVs, a lot of them are new and they're startups, and so they uh, haven't yet developed any sort of indirect channel and for those who have or realizing that they need to they don't have any experience in doing so um, they don't know what they actually need from the from these partners they don't know they don't know how to structure a program for them they're not sure what partners want in terms of compensation what is appropriate compensation uh, and so I think of all of the pieces of this particular study, um, the vendor piece and how they interact with the indirect channel and who they want to be their partners, these are all, um, I would describe all of these as challenges and things that are still in flux. And there's really no definitive right now model for who's doing it really well versus, um, versus the rest of, of the ecosystem. Well, there's a lot of change happening. There has been, 
And uh, I think that we are really starting to get our arms around the different types of change in, in the different segments of the market. And so uh, really looking forward to this study getting published. Again, people can look for it on comptia.org in the next week or so. And uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts here. You bet. Yeah, yeah. Check check it out. Um, I think it's uh, it's it provides a pretty good overview of what's going on in, in the SaaS space right now in the channel. And uh, we'll continue to follow this. This is a topic that we're going to keep our eye on. Very cool. Well, we're we're going to run over a little bit here, but I I thought we would spend a few minutes uh, talking about an article that you sent me from the New York Times, and we'll post the link in the show notes as always. Uh, but the article looked at the work-life balance, or maybe the lack thereof, in Silicon Valley. Uh, and, and you and I have not worked for CompTIA all our lives. We've both worked for other organizations, and some of them have been larger. And we've, we've seen the way, different ways that companies handle work-life balance. And I'm sure you can relate at least a little bit to what the, this article described as happening in Silicon Valley, that there's just immense pressure to produce a lot of business owners, CEOs, founders, uh, they're driven in that way and they expect that of their employees. Uh, and the, the article definitely was a little depressing, but the reality is that there are a lot of companies out there that are operating this way and they're producing things and especially once they become public then, the the competition changes and the nature of the way that they measure their business changes and the results that they have to achieve um, need to be met by a lot of hours being put in. And that's certainly not going to be for everybody. And I think across different segments of society now, we're kind of trying to figure out exactly what it means to work, what it means to be employed, how much we want to be pouring into that. Uh, and so I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out with these really powerful technology companies that have been very driven for a long time and how that matches up against people's desires and what they want to happen with their life. Yeah, it was an interesting and, yes, a little bit depressing article for me. I think the big question to ask here is how much of this is strictly a Silicon Valley phenomenon? Um, versus the rest of uh, the rest of the country, and I think that that needs to be considered. But uh, it certainly, it certainly struck me that this work-life balance thing for many of the companies that they were highlighting, and and a lot of these are startups, that, you know, VC-funded type of startups that may or may not even have a product off the ground yet. And and I understand entrepreneurship. You know, I do understand the commitment that you have to do to that. I mean, I I was my dad ran his own company his whole life and I do remember as a kid when he first and he was young at this point is in his 20s when he first started his company we never saw him I mean he was there 24 7 getting that thing off the ground and that went on for several years um, and then finally you know he got it going and 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 things became more normal and he was around more and that was you know the majority of uh, of his career um, was a much more uh, normalized environment so you know I don't want to knock the you know working your butt off all the time to the detriment of having any personal life whatsoever if you are starting a company out but there was a little bit of an attitude in that article that it was you know and I, 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 I don't know how to put my finger on it exactly but it was almost like if that's not the way you want to run your life you know you don't belong and I, I disagree with that I think that you can be in the technology industry and not having to be 
killing yourself 24-7 and not seeing your family. I mean, there was one example in that article where the guy said, so sometimes you, you just you can't see your kids. I just don't see my kids. And then they went on to find out what the app he was developing was uh, an app that helps you visualize what a coffee table would look like in your current living room so that you could decide whether or not you want to buy it as a fit. Okay, that is super cool, I guess. If you're into decor and you don't want to go to the store or make a bad decision, but to the extent that you would do that over not seeing your kids, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, again, I go back to, I don't know if this is, is strictly more of a Silicon Valley-specific thing or if this is something that our technology-heavy lives, something bigger, you know, than just something that's regional there. Mm. To me, I feel like there's a connection here to diversity, and and I feel like it's maybe a slightly subtler form of diversity than we might typically think about. That if you're if you're a company today, and especially if you're a technology company, and some technology companies kind of have a black eye and are maybe starting to shift public perception about what technology companies do and how they behave. And you're wanting to not just produce a product, but also do good and and be well-rounded, then you you maybe don't want 100% of your workforce to be people that are really driven, you know, putting in the time because they they might have tunnel vision. Uh, and so maybe you want some people that are going home and and seeing some larger parts of the world and and having some other thoughts and bringing that in, mm-hmm. and maybe not having as direct a contribution to the product that's going out, but having a contribution to the behavior of the company overall and maybe any social initiatives that they may have and and maybe any considerations that should go into that product like, hey, what if someone starts to use the product this way and, and the people that have just been driving to the requirements are like, never even thought about that. I wonder if work-life balance isn't something that, that some of these companies should start considering as bringing a different voice into their workforce and and not just having all the people that are cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you, you hit the nail on the head here. It's like everybody can't be in the same role. You can have those people that are slaving over coding or whatever they happen to be doing. But you do, If it, I mean, I think successful companies have varied perspectives from uh, within their workforce. For those who are able to look outward um, and bring that perspective back into the office, you know, the four walls of the office, um, and different, you know, and we're, you know, when we talk diversity, we also want to talk about, you know, just um, different types of people in general in terms of different uh, generations of people, so younger, older, middle of the road, um, people from different backgrounds, different races, different, you know, genders, all of that matters, and uh, it's actually a nice segue because the next study I'm going to be doing is on diversity in tech, and I think uh, I'll, I'll think a little bit more about what you've said here, Seth. And it's not just um, the obvious diversity that we talk about, you know, race, gender, et cetera, but also um, diversity in uh, focus area within within the organization. And whether you're going to be the grinder who's, you know, grinding out code or whether you're going to be more of um, an external person who does some sort of out-of-the-box thinking and then applies that back to what's going on inside the organization. So I, th- I think all of that is really valid and, uh, um, and interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that I am glad and I believe that you share my sentiment that our employer is very focused on work-life balance and, and we get a lot of chances to do interesting things and go spend time with our family and get out of the office a little bit. Um, yep. So thank you, CompTIA. Hashtag CompTIA Perks. Hashtag CompTIA Perks. Yeah, no, I, 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 am, I could not agree with you more on that on that as well. 
Speaking of which, it's Friday, so now we get to go and do our work-life balance over the weekend, right? It, we do. Yeah, it is Friday, and uh, we're going to get this podcast out there for everyone that is uh, desperately waiting to listen to it over the weekend, and then we're going to be out of here. So uh, really looking forward to the new study. Um, again, everyone can look for that in the next week or so, and I will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Sounds good. Sounds good. Enjoy football this weekend. Thanks, you too. Alrighty.